If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 today. Let's open in prayer. Father, we are thankful. We're thankful that we can still meet in a country openly. We still can proclaim your name. God, help us that we'd never be afraid to share lovingly, boldly, tenderly your gospel message to a world that needs to hear it. This morning, as we look at your word, we want to see you. We want to see the work that you want to do in our lives, the work that you've done in Paul's life as well. So, Lord, speak to us, for your servants are listening. And all God's people said, Amen. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Follow with me in your Bibles, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all wealth that comes from full assurance of understanding, resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this so that no one will delude you with a persuasive argument. For even though I'm absent in the body, nevertheless I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, And having firmly rooted and now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. It's not just when they're at home, you're you're praying for them, but even when they go out, they get married, and even when they have their own children, you're you're praying for them and struggling. And and the struggle that Paul's going to talk about, it's not a struggle from the outside, it's a struggle inside. And I want to ask you a question. It's only for you. Have you ever struggled in prayer? Do you understand how it is in those times when you're in a crisis and and you pray like you've never prayed before? God, I'm bargaining with God. But sometimes our struggles are not like that. We don't struggle in prayer. And yet, that's where the victory is, is in prayer. Praying and seeking and having that relationship with Him. I'm going to encourage you, if you don't struggle in prayer from time to time, and and I'm not even talking about crisis, but for someone you love, maybe your family, your friends, a, a, a co-worker, pray that God would speak to your heart, that God would come upon your heart very strongly. And I promise you this, if you pray that sincerely, that you might even wake up and you might find yourself even in your dreams, struggling in prayer, even seeing the faces of someone that you love and knowing, because when I, when I see dreams, I don't see faces of people. But when God is connecting, God gives you a face. And you pray for them. And you pray. And sometimes you'll sweat, and it is a struggle. And this is what Paul's saying. Paul has this love, and it's a love for the saints, and that's what I've titled this message is really Paul's love for the church. The church is not this building that we look at here. The church is the people. And they come in all sizes and all shapes and all personalities and all cultures, and he loves every single one of them, no matter what their background is. There is no distinction because that's how God's love works. We don't show favoritism to one and not to another, and that's Paul's heart. And he's struggling in this prayer as he speaks to them. And he speaks to them because he knows their future. Meaning, maybe God gave them or Paul, a, a word of knowledge of the future, or just knowing what future lies down the road. I, I know even for my own kids, their struggles they're going to have on their own as they go down life, just as a married couple. Because I've been down that road before. And Paul, in 
let me read in Acts 20, 28. It'll be on the screen there if you look up. But notice what Paul says to the Ephesian elders. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul knows the future. They sometimes worship another Jesus and they try and draw people away. Paul knows it. He knows the false teachers are only a matter of down the road. But there's one Jesus. He's the way, the truth, the life. There's no way the Father but through him. It's not through a series of other gods and emanations as we looked at last week. He's the one that purchased you with the precious blood of the Lamb. Look again in Ephesians 5.25, and it says, Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I thought I'd put that in, but the idea that I want to say is that Christ laid down his life for the church. That's us. That's how every leader is to be, whether it be a husband, it be a pastor, an elder, or a deacon. That love is always to be sacrificial. That's the love of God. That's what we call agape love. That's the love that he pours into our hearts. We'll either be that conduit and let that love flow through us, or we'll quench that spirit, we'll quench that love. So Paul has this kind of love for the church. Look with me in 1 Timothy 3.1, again on the screen. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work if he desires to do so. Uh, overseer, an elder, and we'll talk about those more when we get to Timothy. But the point I want to talk about here just for a second is this, this love. First for God and, and then for the people. This overseer, this elder, it's a good work if he desires to be this. But what does it mean? In the context of this passage, the church was going through persecution. That means if he chose to be an overseer, an elder, he's out front. He's the target. He's got a bullseye on him. He's willing to lay down his life for the flock of God. This is what Paul's demonstrating. Paul is going through struggles on the outside, but the real struggle is the one inside as he's praying for them because he knows the false teachers, the false teaching that they're going to go through. Just as a parent is concerned about those things that our kids will hear. Are they going to, when they're young, are they going to be drawn off into drugs? Are they going to be drawn off into alcohol or whatever it may be? There's that struggle, laboring in prayer. And that's where Paul's at. He has this deep love, a deep love for the body. And that's a deep love that you and I need to have for one another as well, I believe. This is that mark that sets the church apart. That, that the world will know us by our love for one another. When there's such a diversity within the body of Christ, yet there's this love. There's this patience. There's this kindness. There's this compassion. There's this tenderness. This is the love that Paul has for the church. And so in verse 1, he says, I have this struggle. The word is agon. In the Greek, it simply is where we get our word agony. He is in agony. He's praying. He loves these people that he doesn't, hasn't even met, hasn't even seen. But he's in agony because he knows the future. He knows that they're going to be confronted with these different things and tested. Now the word that's used here is different than the word he used back in chapter 1, verse 29, when he was striving in the ministry. But no, this is not striving. This is agony. It is a struggle. Well, again, Paul's struggle is not, again, as I mentioned, outward, but it's inward. Just as a parent would be struggling in prayer for their own kids. The struggle is due to the false teachers. And every new believer that comes to the Lord, I can guarantee that there will be a false teacher that comes into their life. I can guarantee that there will be somebody knocking on their door with another agenda, another Jesus. And as we know those friends and family that come in the kingdom, we need to be struggling for them. That's where Paul's at. Look with me in verse 2, verse A. 
2a, that is, that is, their hearts may be encouraged. Paul wants their hearts to be encouraged. It's interesting, though, that that word encourage, the basic meaning of that is to, to come alongside. The word is parkaleo. It's the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that comes alongside you, encourages you. But the word doesn't mean so much encourage it can, and it does in some context, but the word probably better is strengthen. When you go to Strong's or various other word studies, it, it, Paul wants them to be strengthened and lifted up, and you'll find that in some translations. Because if you're going to be confronted with temptations and false teachers, and, and the people are great at manipulating words and everything, that you need to be strengthened. How are you strengthened? Well, first with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Strengthened you to confront these things, to face up to these things, to stand firm in Jesus Christ. So the word actually could mean entreat, appeal, summon, comfort, exhort, and even encourage. But here, the word simply means strengthened. And strengthened, they need to be strengthened rather than comforted because they're doing fine. They're remaining in Christ that you're going to see. They're not being tossed and turned at this point right now. But Paul's concerned about the future because every place he goes, there's false teachers. Every place. The enemy prays, but the enemy, P-R-E-Y, prays upon new Christians. Those that are weak, those that don't know the word, those that aren't in prayer, that's what the enemy preys upon. Those are the ones that draw away. And that's why Paul's going to speak about strengthening them and building them up. Notice again, Paul, his, his desire is that their hearts would be strengthened. And it's not referring to emotions. It sometimes is with comfort and, and even emotions here because he's going to use a word, interestingly, in the Bible, heart. Figuratively, in the Bible, the heart usually means the inner person. Sometimes the, the seat of emotions, even the seat of decisions. Oftentimes the word heart could be shared alongside that word mind. And it's the context of the passage that you're reading that determines really what the meaning of that word is, and it's important to understand what is the context of that passage. So it's often equated with a mind. Look at Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is more deceitful than all else. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give each man according to his ways, according to the results of the deeds. The mind. The heart is often reflected as a mind. Look at Psalm 53, 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are all corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. See, emotions respond in what goes on in the heart, but it's the mind that perceives, understands, it directs. That's why we have to take every thought captive. Captive. Those things about Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is. See, this is the person that does, that is not tossed and turned of every wind of doctrine that Paul will talk about elsewhere. See, the mind can control the emotions. Think back when you were 16 years old. Remember those emotions when you were a young man? Men thinking about women. Women thinking about men. What I'm saying, the person that is grounded in the Word of God can control his emotions. That's nothing like what the world thinks. And even today, if a person has a problem with anger or lust or anything, your mind can control your emotions if you choose to. But it's a choice you make. You choice, choose to either react in emotions or feelings or choose to act godly, righteously. Notice Proverbs 23, 19. It says, listen, my son, and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Or I'll say the right way. Say, so you can direct your heart in that right way. 
But again, it boils down to that point, you have a choice. I have a choice. And when you sin, or I sin, we first must recognize that sin and say, we have sinned against the Holy God. God, forgive us. We must own our sin, recognize our sin, lay it before God, and receive that forgiveness. And then set in place a plan never to go down that path again. Think of Joseph, a young man, handsome in the Old Testament, tempted with a woman throwing herself at him. And imagine a beautiful woman. But he chose to run and flee when that time happened. Or Job made a covenant with his eyes. It's a choice that we make. See, the Word of God teaches us what's right and teaches us what's wrong, how to get right and how to stay right. Look at Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Notice what it says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know what's going on in a sense in my mind. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in everlasting way. We need to be honest with God. God, I, I have struggles. And sometimes I don't know where those struggles come from. God, search my heart. And God already knows you. But he's going to reveal to you those weaknesses, those things that you need to shore up in your life. That you will not go through needless things. Destruction, the, the pain, the sorrow. Again, verse 2, notice it says that their hearts maybe encourage, or I, I use that word strengthen. Look at Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in the inner man. See, that's what they need to be strengthened in that inner man. The, the motions, yes, but the mind to do what is right. I'm sure you're like me. You, you've come to a place, uh, you know, I don't want to do this, and the temptations keep coming, and, and you keep looking at Quit looking at it. Decide, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. There's that choice. So the Holy Spirit will give you that strength to turn away and not proceed. Look again in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper and that he may be with you forever. The helper is also the comforter. Boy, knowing that there is help from the Holy Spirit when in a time of need, that is certainly comfort, isn't it? When you're going through a difficult time, maybe it's a loss of a loved one or it's a wreck or whatever, a financial situation knowing that the Holy Spirit is there to strengthen you and comfort you, and he'll never leave you or forsake you. He's with you forever. It's the seal that was given to you, the promise of the Holy Spirit, that one day Jesus Christ is coming back for you again. See, these things that I'm saying, these are the things that will strengthen you when you're confronted with the trials, the storms, the crisis. These are the things that will allow you to step back and stand firm in the Lord. These are the thoughts he wants us to take, that we can grow and mature and be built up in him and be conformed to that image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Look again in John 14, 26. But the Helper, notice here, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring remembrance to all that I said to you. Now, in the context, he's speaking to his disciples. This is going to be the word of God. It's going to be written down. Things that are shared, that they, their faith would be built up. But that same thing, why we will not write the word of God, he will bring back to memory at that right time, that scripture, to comfort you, to encourage you, maybe even to comfort someone else, or to strengthen somebody else, or, or to give them a word, a word of knowledge, or a word of wisdom. And this is what we find when we're in the word of God. Look at John 15, 26. And when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, notice that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. And he will testify about me. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And he will always bring you truth. And that truth 
testifies about who Jesus Christ is. Jesus is all you or I ever need. And if others understood that, there wouldn't be the divorce rate. There wouldn't be the alcoholism problem, the the drug problem. Trying to satisfy themselves with something that will never satisfy and only leave them empty. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy you. Your spouse cannot satisfy you. Your children cannot satisfy you. Oh, you may enjoy them, but only Christ satisfies you. Because you know that he's coming, and he's coming for you again. If you've lost loved ones, you know that you will see them face to face in heaven. Again, look at 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. How do you deal with this? Is knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing to be absent the body is a present with the Lord. Knowing what God has already revealed to you in this life. Maybe God has revealed something about tomorrow to you. And if God has shown that to you, it will be true. Again, think of, again, the disciples were in the boat with Jesus. And Jesus told them that they were going to the other side and he goes asleep in the back of the boat, resting. The waves get big. And boy, I've seen big waves on the Sea of Galilee. So big, it's intimidating to these fishermen. And they begin to freak out and they begin to wake Jesus up. And Jesus would speak to him, you of little faith. See, they had forgot that they were going to the other side. They had forgot that Jesus was with them. And those are the two same things for you and me. We forget that Jesus has already gone before us and he's coming back for us again. And he's with us. His Holy Spirit is with us. And he'll never leave us and forsake us. And we're going. And that is a guarantee. See, strong hearts is a result of a a powerful Christian life that knows the Word of God, that the Word of God has become flesh in them. That it becomes real and living when you're going through a trial, through a storm. Certain verses will speak to you. You will cling to them again and again because you find the source of strength. Well, notice again, in verse 2, we, we see this thought of united in love. And Paul's prayer, he's struggling for him, is that they would be united in love, having been knit together in, in love. This is something that every believer needs to understand. God has put us together. And we need to spend time with one another. We need to get to know one another. Not run from one another. But get to know one another. How can we pray for one another? How can we encourage one another? Maybe there's a need that someone needs and we can physically help them. Maybe there's emotional need. Maybe there's just a need of being in the Word or or someone just to, to get on the phone with them and pray weekly with them. Or they're struggling with something just to get on the phone and say, how you doing to be that accountability partner? Knit together, bonded together. Closer than than blood family. Because we're in the family of God. See, a fervent love is the key to a balanced, strong mind. When you're in a relationship and love is flowing, boy, things are great. But if you're in a fractured relationship, and because of the choices you make, it's not a strong mind. It's giving over to the motions and the feelings. See, Christianity is not mindless. It's all about our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Two commands you have, right? What are they? What's the first one? Louder, please. Yeah. Love God, love others. Let's simplify it. Love God, love others. And that needs to be walked out, lived out every day. 
That means love the unloving. Praise God. Praise God. No, we need to love the unloving because sometimes those unloving become very loving because they're that way because they've never known the love from anyone. Maybe you know someone like that. I know a homeless guy that got saved one time and they were sharing tracks as they were sharing here and talking and, and the man behind, a homeless guy begins to cry out for salvation. He'd heard the message a hundred times, but that was the day that God had ordained he was saved. He ended up in the church that I was at on the mainland. Not only did he end up in the church, he ended up his whole life changed, working for Campus Crusade for Christ just as a janitor. They, they helped him out and he became their best employee. Not only did he do that, he married a gal in the church and adopted six of her kids. And this is a man that was in the gutter. A man that didn't know love. Boy, does love go a long ways. Love changes lives. It's love. In John 3.16, stop and think about it. For God so loved the world he gave. And that's what we do. We give our lives away, just as Christ gave his lives away. I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Speaking about false teachers in Matthew 7, it says, Lord, Lord, in that day, didn't we perform miracles? Didn't we cast out demons? And the end is where I want to get to. Go away. I never knew you. Works out of love is what God is pleased with. God is not pleased in works alone. But that that's motivated by love. Have no confidence in your works. Have confidence in your love that he's able to keep you until that day. See, that phrase, knit together, means unite. It's, it's to bring together. In Ephesians 4, 16, notice what it says. From whom the whole body, being fitted, held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You know what? I need you guys. You're part of the body. If you're not here, no guilt trips. There's times we can't be here. I understand that. But you have a gift. You have ability that God's given. When you're not there, the body is not functioning right. We together are the body of Christ. We together glorify Christ. Even what would be considered the last can be considered the most important because it keeps us struggling in prayer for their lives. For their souls. To see them grow. We need each other. Because every one of you in this body, and and even the people aren't here too, is, I have learned something. I have grown. I am a better person. You know that happens even from those conflict times? You know how that happens sometimes? Because no matter what circumstance you're going through, we have to ask God, what is it? that I could have done different. Search my heart and see if there's any wicked way. Every situation works for the good for those who love the Lord and call according to his purpose. Believers share, though, in that common life with love as the basis. It's love that motivates us. All believers possess the same eternal life, Again, we're all saved the same way. We're all placed in the body of Christ the same. The only difference is we have different gifts that are prepared for each one of us in the place we're at, but no one person is any better than any other person. I'm no better than any of you. And God hears every one of our prayers individually, personally. And he loves to hear from you and me. 
Paul C. is praying. He's encouraging them. But the encouragement is more of strengthening. See, the church unity is not just organizational. That's what people sometimes focus on. Church unity is organic. It is natural. As people grow and as people mature, they're being raised up. They're becoming what God would have them be. And they begin to function and use those gifts, those abilities for God and for his glory. And everyone around glorifies and praises God when they see the wonderful work that is being done. See, believers are all one in Christ Jesus. We're not Baptists, Calvary Chapelites. We're not Catholics. We're not... We're Christians. We're either Christians or guess what? You're not. You've been not born again. You're not a Christian. Now, there's three classes today in the world. I'd like to put it this way. One, there are Jews. You'll see that in the Bible. Hebrews. There are Gentiles. But there's a third one. Did you know that? Believers. The body of Christ, because we're neither Jew or Gentile. Because in Christ, we're one. There's neither Jew or Gentile. We're believers in Christ, all one. John 17, 23, look on the screen. Jesus' high priestly prayer, he says, I in them and you in me, and that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that that you sent me and I love them even as you have loved me. What is the unity? First, the unity is that Jesus, the unity he had, the oneness he had was with the Father. He come to do the Father's will. Two, he wanted that for us, that we would be going about our Father's will. And in love is that motivation. When we know that love of Christ, we then want to give ourselves away. Notice again, we already mentioned it in John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And that's not just squeezing one another. I love you, bro. I love you, bro. Whatever it would be, whoever you're speaking to. Love means you're giving yourself away. You're connecting with them. You're there for them. No matter what's going on, if there's any way possible, you're there. Notice again in Ephesians 4.3, it says, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now please understand that you and I don't need to get in some kind of unity movement and, and try and, and work ourselves up. Oh, we're one, we're one, we're one. It says preserve the unity. The moment that you're placed in Christ, we're all in Christ, we're believers in Christ, and there's a unity. Then I need to be very careful that I don't break the fellowship with someone. I don't do anything, I don't sin against that brother that I do everything I can preserve. And that means sometimes, sometimes people are going to hurt you. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but they will hurt you. And sometimes you just have to bite the lip and not say anything. Sometimes they may be very wrong about something and you bite the lip. And you preserve unity and you wait. And if there's a time that God would have you speak, then you speak to them. But you go out of your way to preserve the unity. There is unity. Especially when you've traveled around the world and you're in another country and you don't know the language, but all of a sudden you recognize they're Christian, you point to a cross or something, all of a sudden there's a difference in the, in the way people look at you. We preserve that unity. Jumping ahead in our text in Colossians 3:12 and 13, it's on the screen though. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy, beloved, here's what you do. Put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against one another or anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should. Wow. You want unity? This is how you do it. You want to honor God? This is how you do it. We'll look at that when we get to chapter 3 a little more in detail, but the idea is strong hearts come from love, as I mentioned, and being knit together with others. Now think of it, just for a moment, 
those that don't know that love, those that are struggling, those that are isolated, they feel all alone. They're without friends. They're left out. They're ignored. They're unloved, bypassed, overlooked, disfavored, uncared for. Go back in time with me when you were in school. There was probably a kid that you knew that all the kids used to laugh at and nobody wanted to speak to. That's the one that we need to gravitate toward. That's the one that we need to strengthen and encourage. But the other ones need it too. Don't overlook that person that's hurting. I thought of that song. Maybe you remember Eleanor Rigby, the Beatles. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? When I heard that song the first time, it was so true. People can act like they're just the happiest people in the world, and they're fearful, and they're alone in this world, and putting a front on. Love is what makes this world go around. See, people that feel these kind of emotions going through these things seldom ever are confident, even assured in the Lord. And you'll find people like this in the church. Every once in a while, there'll be somebody that comes out of one of the jungles up, a, up the hill, and you know, you'll see them, and, and, and maybe they've, something has happened, maybe in Vietnam or something. They, they can't cope with people. They're here, they sneak in at the last, they're the first out. They just don't know how to cope. You love them. And the best thing you can do when you see someone like that, pray, 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 and ask God for an opportunity. Because they need to know the love of God. And you and I are those vessels, those instruments. And this is what Paul's praying, that they would be. They would be strengthened. But it's the idea is that you and I, we comfort others with the comfort we receive. And God's love is certainly comfort, is strengthening, and it's comforting. Then they'll feel secure. Well, look again in verse 2. We see settled in understanding. And let's look at that verse again, those verses, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all wealth that comes from the full assurance and understanding, resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself in whom all the hidden of treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and I say this, so that no one will delude you of a persuasive, or with a persuasive argument, for even though I'm absent the body, nevertheless I'm with you in spirit. I'm going to stop there. See, Paul knew these false teachers are going to come. They're going to delude them. They're going to draw them away. If you have a Jehovah Witness knocks on your door, knock, knock, and they want to share with you, and you say, I'm a Christian. Oh. They want to show you only what they want you to, to see. If you ask them, hey, would you like to come in? We'll do a Bible study. We'll just go through one book. Right through. Straight through the book. No, 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 no. They have one agenda. That's to convert you. To draw you away. To delude you with these persuasive arguments. If that doesn't work, just say, let me pray for you. And they'll run. Because they know that they believe in a different God. They believe in a different Jesus Christ. We could go down the list. But see, if you know the truth, the truth that will set you free, you don't need to study the cults. You just need to know the truth. And that's what Paul wants to do. He wants them to know the truth. He wants them to act in truth. He desires that they would know all it is about Christ, the assurance they have in him, and the mystery is Christ himself. It's all about Jesus. When someone goes to church and they want it about something else other than Jesus, they're not a Christian. Maybe they're a seeker, but it's all about Jesus, what Jesus has done for you and for me. We don't want to make people comfortable on the way to hell, do we? No. And sometimes the truth cuts against the grain. 
And Paul will say it, but he always says it in a loving way. So what he wants, he wants them to know the assurance or the, the complete understanding of who Christ is. See, strong hearts come from knowing that what one believes about God is true. But they don't take the time to know the truth. The truth will set them free. The Bible says, seek me, you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. It means you diligently need to seek things out and know that truth. It means to be a brand. If you hear someone say, check it to see if it's so. But sometimes people don't want to do that. But people want to know, does God really exist? Is he who he says he is? Well, is he really concerned about my welfare? Will he really supply all my needs in Christ Jesus? And certainly, if you've been there, you know no matter what you're going through, He will supply those needs. And when you've exhausted all the, the opportunities to do it on your own, I love that, then God shows you, here I am. I've been waiting for you to come to the end of yourself just to show you how much I love you. And this is, this is the God that Paul wants them to know, to have that assurance that they can have this personal relationship with them. In eternity, this eternal life really, really exists. To be absent in the body is, really means to be present with the Lord, and in His presence is fullness of joy. But how? But how can a person know that? It, it, it means that we need to apply these biblical principles to our life. It means you and I need to work at it. Look with me in Second Peter, verse one, verses five through eight. Now, for this, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will render you neither useless or unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you already have the ability to do all these things here. How? You have the Holy Spirit if you've been born again. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is be serious that you want to grow. If these things aren't happening, Lord, help me. Help me have this assurance and in, in knowledge and this understanding. Look again in 2 Peter 1.10. Therefore, brethren, be all more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. This may seem odd, but I'm serious what I'm saying. You ever prayed, God, would you bring someone into my life that I could be kind to today? That may mean they may be unkind to you, but you can be kind to them, loving, Caring, patient. Lord, I, I want to be what you want me to be. Would you help me be this? I'm going to thrust myself upon him. He says, if you cast your cares upon him, because he cares for you, the, the cast these cares, the, I want to be like you. It means we have to struggle ourselves in prayer, not just for ourselves, but for everyone here, the body of Christ. Remember, we're all tied together. You need to be praying for me, and I need to be praying for you. You need to be praying for one another. Praying that God will add to this body like-minded people that are about Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to read from another translation. It will not go up on the screen here. It's in 1 Corinthians 2.14. It's the easy reader version. Anyone like that title? Yeah. Especially if you had never learned phonics. But anyways, listen to what it says. People who do not have God's Spirit do not accept the things that come from Spirit. They think things are foolish. They cannot understand them because they cannot be understood without the Spirit's help. See, unless a person is born again, they're not going to understand the things of God. That's what it's saying. In fact, Romans 8.5 says this on the screen, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds upon the things of the flesh. But those according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Busted. Every week there's some struggle in my mind. I put my mind on the, on the flesh for a moment. Somebody was rude to me. I want to 
No, I'm not going to say that. See, that's where we have to control our mind. Do you understand what I'm saying? But it's talking about the habitual thing here. We don't habitually go there. We want to be in the Spirit, and we then can function according to the Spirit. But the unbeliever, he doesn't know that. In fact, those that are in the flesh, Ephesians 4.18 says, they're darkened in their understanding. Light means illumination and understanding. Darkness means not understanding. In fact, I love this in Ezekiel 36.26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You know, there's a heart. When you're born again, God gives you a new heart. He takes this heart of stone and takes it away. But one that's sensitive, one that is circumcised by God. Cutting away that, those fleshly de- desires and changing you and transforming you. See, Paul knows the unbelievers and the believers both will be plagued by a heresy. And if you follow church history, it will come. Especially in the church of Laodicea will be affected by it. But he's stressing this importance of the true knowledge of God because if you really know God and you're walking with him, there's no place else you'd rather be. There's no place you'd rather be. And he's trying to assure him, this is the place that you need to be. This is where true wisdom and knowledge come from. It's from Christ. He is, he is God. He is deity. He is sufficient for all your needs. In Christ himself is hidden all, again, it says, all the wisdom, everything that you need, everything that man could ever want. He is God's mystery. First Timothy 3.16 says this, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness, and he who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed upon in the world, and taken up in glory. Bob, I should have called you and had you turn that into a song for us. Because that was a hymn for the early church. They focused it on who God was and is and always will be. Notice again, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. And he who is revealed in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up to glory. That was the motto in a sense. Now I don't know what it, how it would have sounded, but they would have been singing that as they would go along. Their eyes were locked upon the author and the finisher of their faith. See, all those phrases refer to Christ. And that's what's so important. And it's the deity of Christ, knowing who he is. He is God in the flesh. And he alone is sufficient for all your needs. And because Christ is sufficient, there's no need of writings of, of philosophy or, or any of the cults or they're putting their books above the Word of God. The Word of God is sufficient in itself. And we just need to say, Lord, speak for your servants listening. Paul expresses the reason for his concern about knowing Christ. It's in verse 4, and I say this in order that no one may delude you of a persuasive argument. He'll write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.1, but the Spirit explicitly says, in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. In Galatians 1.8, the same thing, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what's been preached to you, he is to be accursed. And yet there are many that have a different doctrine because an angel has spoken to them and it's inconsistent with the word and they establish whole groups. The warning is there. They've just not known the word. Look at verse 6. Well, the key is walking in Christ. Therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were Instructed. So the idea is, is, is building up. He's exhorting them to be built up in Christ. 
they've received Christ as Jesus the Lord, but, but now they, they need to settle these convictions about his deity and who he is, his sufficiency. Now it's time to stand firm and press on in Christ and not be tossed and turned, not be influenced, to recognize those things are wrong. Now that word walk is familiar to all of us, but it really speaks about how they are to live their life. They're to live their life confidently knowing that Christ is with them, that he will provide those deeds, that he's involved in their life. He's a personal God, an intimate God. There's no place you can go that he doesn't hear you. He's not concerned about you. He is concerned. And that you can have this living union relationship with him. 1 John 2.6 says this, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner he walked. See, when you're confronted with daily trials, believe me, you are just like me. We need to ask the question, Christ, what would you do? How, what would Christ be doing in this situation? And that will guide us. And as we read the word, we know. And that's important. And, and that will only happen if your roots are deeply down like an oak tree, drawing from him the nourishment, the strength from him, being built up in him. In fact, Ephesians 4.13 says this, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And then again in 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect confirm and strengthen and establish you. You know, in my own life, sometimes I feel like a failure. Does anyone else ever feel like a failure? I'm not the person that God really wants me to be. I, I'm more like him today. But when I read these words, he will, he himself will perfect, confirm and strengthen and establish you. It's like, Lord, thank you. I needed to be strengthened. I needed to be encouraged by that. He will finish the work that he's began in you. Finally, in verse 7, what will happen in the Christian's life, and he's praying for this, is they'll be overflowing with gratitude. Gratitude. Finish with the last verse, Hebrews 13, 15. Through him then, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips and to give thanks in his name. See, you can tell a man that desires to be like God, you can't help but the word of God just bubble up. That's how it should be in all of our lives. Now, some of us don't have the memory of others. That's okay. But remember, the Holy Spirit will bring back exactly what you need to hear and others need to hear at that moment. 